Welcome to the Beer Sec Ops Podcast. Yeah, I said beer. Some had to go to make room for beer, and it wasn't going to be sec, was it? And we need those ops guys, so sorry, Dev. Beer Sec Ops, who will be having conversations with cybersecurity industry influencers and frontline DevOps warriors to help provide us with a cloud-native security blanket. To those who are treading lightly into our hazy DevSecOps world of rainbow shundering unicorns. Welcome once again to Beer Sec Ops. I'm your host, Steve Jaguer, and in this episode, I was able to pin down for almost an hour, Tanya Janka. And I don't know what's going on with my luck, but it's going very well. Uh, however, if you're in a world that's anything like mine at the moment, man, you are pinned down in some kind of coronavirus-based self-isolation, and she is doing just the same. And that's probably the only reason I was able to catch her for a spare hour to talk to me. Now, if you don't already know Tanya, she is a true legend in the AppSec space, a self-proclaimed verbose, uh, but amazing OWASP member and contributor an entrepreneur, a role model, a founder of WOSEC, Women in Security, look that up, a huge developer advocate in her security world, and her latest project is She Hacks Purple. She's been known as She Hacks Purple for quite some time, so just feel free to duck, duck, go, She Hacks Purple, and you'll find her. You will also find a wealth of knowledge about application security with much more to come. So, we talk about that and much more. It's my privilege to meet Tanya Janka. Tanya Janka, thank you for being on the podcast. I know I don't have a lot of podcasts and other podcasts are available. Um, but yeah, this is very cool. I have listened to, my, my normal homework routine is to listen to three or four of the last ones you've done. So I don't, so I ensure that you go over the same material, you know. I try, try and be somewhat original. <laughs> I hope that's okay. Oh, that's flattering. Thank you. Uh, and so I've heard a lot of your voice over the past 24 hours. Um, and what, I, what I'm what i wondering if you want to do, just when I start things off, is first tell me how is the pandemic going where you are? Are there is there any toilet paper left? Uh, are people uh, harboring, fighting over canned goods? Um, so we have no toilet paper now at all. And um, there are less and less people in the streets that's dark yeah um like i've stopped going to the gym i've decided that i'll run outside or or work outside so for instance yesterday i cut down a tree and i used the hand saw so i could get really good exercise because <laughs> wow. um, i usually go to the gym and lift weights and i'm concerned I'd, i we don't know how long this is gonna last i can't suddenly become a wimp right <laughs> no um but it, it would appear that it, so we have, yeah. some people just aren't taking it seriously and just, I guess, standing at the bottom of an escalator with their tongue out, while other people are mm -hmm. being more precautious. Uh, and I'm one of those people. The Women of Security group that I am a part of, it's an international nonprofit. We held a worldwide leader meeting last night and have officially suspended in all chapters any meetups in person from now on and we're making this huge online plan to basically i'm like let's copy my business plan that i changed a few weeks ago <laughs> we're just doing it switching everything to online making sure people can still be included trying to make sure that everyone still knows you're there and that you can still help them whenever they need help etc and so yeah i put all my courses on sale for 50% off if they're remote, things like that, so that people, you can still do business, but it's safe for everyone. Because even if I was fine with traveling around, which I'm not, I don't think people would be fine attending my courses in a big group, right? So yes. I feel like we have to adjust all the things and some people here are adjusting and some people aren't. And I don't know why people feel the need to buy 10 months worth of toilet paper instead of 10 weeks. Um, but there's still, um, in Canada, one of my friends is in the interior of British Columbia and he told me that they are keeping the library open and his wife works at a daycare and the daycare is still open and all the kids are still going. And so they're pretty certain they're going to end up sick and they don't know what to do about it. It's not, the, wow. yeah, the coronavirus isn't there yet. It's not in very many places in Canada yet. We've been working really hard. 
So if you come to Canada, like come home to Canada at this point, you're in automatic 14 day quarantine now. We have all this list of stuff. I personally am sterilizing everything before it comes in the house. So even if I do go shopping, I have to sterilize all the packages before they come in because coronavirus can live on plastic apparently up to nine days. Wow. Yeah. So I don't want any of that. I had enough of a scare when I came back from RSA. I started coughing and coughing and coughing. And so they put me in quarantine and I realized just how many people in my life are immune compromised. And I realized that all of them, it would be a death sentence if they caught it from me. And so I've decided for those people in my life, I have to be extra cautious. I'm young and healthy, all the things, but it would, oh, the pain of finding out that you gave something to someone that you could have prevented. No, I can't do that. Yeah, that'd be horrible. How's it going for you? <laughs> okay. Okay, uh, well, then. <laughs> I, I have the convenience of, uh, let's start this off on a positive note. The uh, I am convenient enough that, probably very similar to yourselves, I don't really live in, a, I don't work in an office, uh, and I live on a farm. I mean, my nearest neighbor is 200 meters away or something, so I've kind of, I'm already in isolation by default, so... You know, I'm kind of living my normal life with the exception of the grocery, the epic grocery delivery, only a 10 pack of toilet paper in that one uh, that happened on Sunday. And uh, yeah, similar to yourself, I was thinking, how contaminated are these groceries? Um, but yeah, so uh, we're, we're, we're dealing with it. We're okay. And but I do live, I don't live in London, thankfully. I live about 100 miles north, so I'm kind of... There's no cases up here. There's nothing. It's just the, you know, the usual sort of preventative paranoia. Mm-hmm. I've planted food, but I would have done that anyway. <laughs> yeah. This is fun. I'm one of those urban farmers. Oh, is there is there two feet of land? Oh, well, I'm going to plant strawberries there. <laughs> okay. I've got to get some basil going on. Right? Or, or basil, depending on what country you're in. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, then... Uh, amidst this apocalypse, it's good that we're providing at least some content for people who are holed up in their uh, their isolation chambers. Yes, I agree. Yeah, I'm going yeah. into content delivery overdrive on purpose. Mm, absolutely. So, so um, the actual thing I was going to ask you whether you want to talk about was, uh, I've heard you do intros to you um, many times over the past 24 hours and you're quite good at keeping them concise so for those out there who are googling your name maybe more because I'm, I have more of an immediate audience yeah <laughs> yeah for the first time or duck duck going you um are you do you mind doing a quick intro just so they say oh this is this is tanya and this is how i i can i can put you in context is that okay it would be my pleasure <laughs> um so I'm Tanya Jenka, also known as She Hacks Purple, because I am a purple teamer. So I can't help but break things, but then I also fix them again. <laughs> and um, I was a software developer for around 17 years, and then I met a hacker, and he dragged me into the dark side and helped me become a pen tester. I joined OWASP. I started my own project and led my own chapter. And then my next professional mentor, who was in charge of B-Sides in my city, announced on the internet that I would be speaking at the upcoming B-Sides conference. <laughs> and then I started public speaking against my will at first, but now I love it. Um, and then I basically became obsessed with the security of software. And rather than being a pen tester, I just kept finding myself when I was a pen tester going to talk to the developers, asking if we could whiteboard their problem. And I just kept trying to, to solve it from their side. And eventually I figured out that's a job. <laughs> and that was the job I wanted. And so now I specialize in application security and DevSecOps. And also because I worked for Microsoft for a few years, Azure security, and I just started my own business called shehackspurple.dev, where so far it's just me, but I'm already talking to more instructors. And basically I am trying to make affordable content 
and eventually an entire program that people could go through and then graduate and become application security engineers, DevSecOps engineers, cloud security engineers. I know that engineer has a special connotation to it and I can't give out rings, but I'll come up with something. But basically, I'm seeing this huge problem in our industry that people, like a lot of people don't even know the basics. They don't know where to start. My journey towards learning all of these things involved me mentoring or um, apprenticeshipping under many, many different people, starting my own project, leading my own chapter, speaking at conferences all over the planet so that I could learn for free. I mean, free-ish. And that's not acceptable. It's not reasonable. If we expect someone to sacrifice at that level to join our industry, we're always going to have problems. So I want to try to, however best I can, I want to try to bridge this gap because it is a giant problem in our industry. And with everyone getting breached on the internet all the time, it's obviously something that is costing us a lot of money. So I'm going to do my best to be able to bring in more people in an organized and unpainful manner. That's my plan. Hopefully it can actually be really fun. So in other podcasts, you'd mentioned Security Sidekick. Oh, Security Sidekick bombed. Yeah, we blew up in nine weeks. We obliterated (laughs) ourselves. Yeah. Yep, I did all of that press and we split up and then I was just burnt out for around 10 weeks. And everyone I knew was like, could you please give training? You're such a good trainer. You have all this information in your head. I wish it was in my head. Companies started hiring me to coach them and help them form their AppSec programs. And it turns out that lots and lots of people want the knowledge in my head. So I decided I would do what everyone just kept asking me for and just make content so I can train everyone. Yeah. That sounds awesome. Yeah. It sounds very well suited to what I've seen you already do. Thank you. I was really sad that Security Sidekick broke up, though. It's hard to start a company with a good friend and then have it just deteriorate. Because we both, you can talk about things in advance, but when you're in the moment, it turns out, you know, he wanted the company to go one way, I wanted the company to go another way. And, you know, we ended things in like a peaceful manner, like neither of us was like screaming or anything silly like that. But it's kind of heartbreaking. Like we planned it out for so long and then boom. <laughs> yeah. Do you mind that I asked about it? I hope you don't mind. No, I, no, no. I heard a podcast that I liked the idea and then suddenly I didn't hear about it. Yes. So um, a lot of people really liked the idea and it's really too bad we couldn't make it work. It's so sad. Um, however, there's another company that is doing something similar, which never mind. I can't tell you about that. i am um, i'm i'm advising on a bunch of startup boards now ah okay all right very cool and you started off uh i don't i don't want to go on about canada and that but you started off in ottawa is that correct yes so i used to live in ottawa and in july i moved away from coldness into beautiful beautiful moderate weather on vancouver island it's so gorgeous Tech is their number one industry. It's basically the Silicon Valley of Canada, nicknamed Tech Island. It's oh, it's so amazing. It's it, yeah, it's been lovely. So, uh, so uh, can, I want to just ask about some few things in your history before I go on to what you're doing now in terms of um, the training aspect and how necessary I, that is. Uh, about how long? Because like, people listen to. There's a, there's a group in, in, in London, I don't know if you know them already, called Ladies of London Hacking Society, and I met a few of them last week at a conference that should have been canceled but wasn't. Um, they're kind of asking a lot of questions about how long does it take to be somewhat proficient in security? Like about, one e- what, about what year did you have that epiphany of transformation moving from sort of more of a development mind to a security mind and more of that developer advocate within security mind? I mean, I, what's the timeline on that? I think that, so I did one year in security in 2008 and I hated it. it uh, I did anti-terrorism Great, activities. I had nightmares, it was really awful. And uh, I decided I didn't want to do security. So I'd been offered lots of security jobs and kept saying no. It can be hard to get a top secret clearance. Um, so then eventually my 
perfect, like my first professional mentor, he spent a year and a half trying to recruit me into security. And I was running a lunch and learn program for my devs. And so he introduced me to another guy named Krim Nathu, who is a brilliant like malware reverse engineer. And then he introduced me to Sharif Kusa, who's this amazing AppSec guy. And basically, unbeknownst to me, like every single hacker in Ottawa came in and taught for free to my dev team because I was so excited about learning. And I became friends with all of them. <laughs> and, um, and then eventually, after a year and a half of that, then he convinced me to apprentice under him and he made me read all the hard books like The Shell Coder's Guide, etc. And I didn't feel I got very far. And then I joined OWASP with my friend Sharif Kusa and Nadim Duba, who are both super awesome. And they taught me stuff. And basically, I decided I would be in charge of booking all the talks. And I just booked talks on things that I was interested in. And then my professional mentor, he got a job somewhere. Oh, wait, no. No, then I was working at Elections Canada. And I was leading the dev team. And I was just fixing all the security controls and doing all the security jobs within that dev team. However, you know, the security team was like, you don't have enough, you don't have enough experience. So they invited me on as a enterprise architect, which I mean, I've, I've worked in tech now around 23 years. So I was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> um, but sure. I just kept working on all the security projects. And then we had an incident and I could read the code. I could just read it, even though it was obfuscated, because I'm such a nerd. And then I wrote a script to de-obfuscate it, and then I explained to them what SQL injection was, and then they took me a lot more seriously. And then there was a really silly rule. I'm not sure if I should tell you this, but there's a bilingualism rule where we had to have the leader of the team be able to speak French, and I hadn't had a French speaker in so long, and I'm fluently bilingual. And so they said, well, let's just put Tanya in charge for four weeks this year just to, just to meet the, the rule, right? And then mm-hmm. the third day, they're like, you will be running all of the security for the upcoming election. You've completely transformed this team in like three days. This is ridiculous. How'd you do that? I'm like, I've been managing projects since I was like 18 years old at a tech companies. So like, yeah. <laughs> Um, I just reset all of the priorities and like, I was like, this won't make it by the election. We have to do that Add this, blah, blah, blah. And I just was myself at them and I was managing incidents as well. And they're like, yeah, you're it. Like, I, no, I, but, and so I was the CISO for the election and so was that 2015? Yeah. And I did okay. all the all right. this stuff after that happens too for all the like cleanup and reassurance and all of those things. Um, and it went really smoothly. You may have noticed we were not in the newspaper. It was so yeah, well nice. <laughs> yeah. And then after that, I got a full-time pen testing job and then uh, another one. And then I got two full-time AppSec jobs, but I figured out that I really loved speaking the government is not a fan of their employees publicly engaging. In fact, you sort of sign a contract, so you will mm-hmm. not do that. But I am a jerk and I kept doing it anyway. <laughs> but I wouldn't talk about work. I, I would just talk about cool things I'd learned um, about AppSec. And then Microsoft tried to, well, tried and succeeded at recruiting me. Um, they courted me and brought me down to Seattle, introduced me to like all of these amazing human beings that I follow on Twitter. And they're like, do you want to come work with us? I'm like, yeah, oh my God. <laughs> it's quite the courtship, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like my, oh, I, I probably can't tell you who interviewed me, but just people who I, you, you know that emoticon where the eyes turn into these big stars? That's how I felt the whole day. I was just like, oh my God, really? hi. Okay. I'll, I'll stop recording at some point. You can tell me who it was. If, if, <laughs> yeah. But that sounds, yeah, sorry, I interrupted you. It's an awesome story. Go, go, go. <laughs> um, but so at that point, like I had taught myself all the AppSec and they said, you know, if you join, you have to, learn cloud security. Well, yes, please. Oh, I, I want to know everything, right? 
Um, and so it was awesome because I basically, I remember my, in my negotiation, I was like, and I want uh, a full license to every Microsoft product. And my manager is like trying not to giggle at me. He's like, yes, Tanya. And I'm like, and I want to have as much Azure as I want. And he's like, you're allowed $200 a month. And if you go above that, it'll probably be fine. But just like, try not to waste it. And I was like, and he's like, you, you can have all the things. Just come work here. <laughs> like, he's like, those are defaults. We would have given you those anyway. <laughs> you're, making, you're making reasonable demands. I know. I was like, I want Visual Studio. And I want, and he's like, yes, ma'am. No problem. <laughs> but imagine having endless resources and you can go ask the person that invented the thing for help if you get stuck. Yeah, that's insane. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> and your job is to just learn and teach cool stuff. Like it was, it was really, really awesome. Um, how did Microsoft find out? How, how did they? How did they? Honestly, how did they find out about you? Because I imagine people are hearing the story and they're going to come and say, "I want to work at Microsoft in that awesome job." So I was already speaking all over the world, well, all over Europe and North America and, um, and doing podcasts and all of those things. And basically, so I already had an online presence and a community presence. And then my friend who I started Security Sidekick with had interviewed for the job. And apparently he stopped them and said, you don't want me, you want Tanya Jenka. And then he spent the next week calling me every day, demanding I accept the interview and telling me how I need to leave the federal government. I'd been in the top technical position that you can be in for over a decade. There's like, there's basically you have to move into management or you just never get a raise ever again. That's how the Canadian government works. He's like, we all know you have to leave. You can't just stagnate your career indefinitely. You're wicked underpaid. You're meant to do this. And he just kept talking to me into it. And then I took the interview and then I went down to Seattle and then I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but th there's not that many AppSec people out there. And of the ones that are out there, there's not that many that are already, like I was a .NET programmer, right? I already knew all the ecosystem and all the stuff. And I'm also a squeaky, squeaky clean, white hat so i remember you know like my worst uh law breaking would probably be parking infractions so microsoft wants to have a very respectable um representation of course right and so of like a lot of the people that you'll see speak at conferences are amazing but they might not be the squeaky clean thing that they're looking for so right. yeah, I guess I checked all of their boxes totally unknowingly. And they're like, we really want to come. We like, I guess I was the only person they interviewed, um, which is cool. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's very complimentary. Yeah. Um, and so they're like, could you like fill out the form and apply and stuff? Like you're hired, but could you do that? I was like, okay. <laughs> People often ask me, like, how do you get into Microsoft? And like, apparently you stumble face first into it. I don't know. Like, <laughs> I think that's not the normal, from what I understand, it usually takes months. And they were like, what day are you free to start? I was like, oh, okay, this sounds good. And <laughs> I feel like it was very unusual experience, but the fact that um, my previous co-founder for my old company last year like was so insistent, that helped a lot. I think you, well, I've heard people say you make your own luck, but you, you've done an awful lot in advance of that to make a name for yourself, to give a lot back to the community. And that's obviously something they respected yeah. immediately. Yeah, yeah, the fact that I'd already run the OWASP chapter for a few years and even just running the lunch and learn that I ran for the Canadian government for a few years, um, just having local experts come in and teach us whatever things. Eventually, we started filming it and streaming it to all the departments. And he's just like, you realize you've been a developer advocate for years. You just also had a full-time job. Like, oh, that's a good point. That's a good point. He's like, imagine what you could do if you just got to follow your dreams. I'm like, stop making me want to work for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah, so it is not your general way of going in. Usually people don't have their choice of mentors across their city. I was very lucky no. 
My second professional mentor, I actually launched an entire mentoring program for OWASP so that I could convince him to be my mentor. And at the end of the night, you know, everyone's meeting everyone. He's like, are you going to come over here and ask me to be your mentor or what? Do I have to wait all day? <laughs> and I was like, so hi. And he's like, the answer is yes. I like, oh, thanks. <laughs> I think that that's awesome. I mean, for listening from the things you're, you're talking about you're doing, you're creating a situation for yourself so that the result can be the result you want, which is is awesome. I mean, clearly a self-starter, I don't want to say overachiever, but. Probably, the, yeah. A <laughs> little bit, right? <laughs> but it's cool. I mean, I think that's a good lesson for people looking to get into. I mean, cybersecurity and application security is is kind of ripe for expansion uh, and I and there's a lot of well there's going to be they people always talk about the the job gap that is either existing or up and coming and so you can kind of it feels like you can make it whatever you want it to be at the moment if provided you you know you're going to put yourself out there I feel like the hardest part right now is that people don't know what they need to know so there's all right. of these courses that I see where it's some weird, obscure hack. I'm like, you're never going to see that in the workplace. Or there will be one time in your 15-year career that you will see that. Like, a lot of the courses teach these weird, obscure things. They don't, like, what I want is a process that I follow. Like, how I kept asking my mentors, how do I know when my pen test is over? How do I know when I've tested it enough? How do I know when I can say it's secure? And they're like, it's over when you run out of days in your contract and then you just do the best you can. You're say when you ran, somebody ran out of money, but yeah. But that's not what, I, I ended up. real? I, I find just, I, so rules are supposed to apply to us, blah, blah, blah. But <laughs> I found that I would do a contract and I would tell them like, listen, I don't want to come in in three months from now and just do a test. Can we like whiteboard this out right now? I want to do just this brief threat model and talk about things. And then I want to help you make sure your design's secure. And then could I add these requirements to your project? Because you have time to build them in now, but you won't when I come back and I'm going to find these things wrong. Right. And then can we do this? And can I just scan all your infrastructure now? and find all of the pat missing patches and poor decisions you've made now, I want you to fix all of them. And so I did all of this prep work with them so then when I would come in and do the pen test, they would look awesome, right? So they wouldn't have any highs because we would have already squared those away in advance, right? And so I come in and I do like, dun, 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 the pen test, but really, you know, all the things are patched, they're looking pretty good, you know, I'm not, and I could, I have more time to just do in-depth testing and then the developers are like, look how awesome we are. She only found medium and down and all, all of these things, right? And then I would create a report with a plan for them for the next six months to fix all those things. And everyone's like, you know, you have to finish your pen test in 10 days. I'm like, well, that only took 14 days and like tough luck. Like the client agreed to it, so too bad. Like if they say yes, they're who I'm serving and they're paying the bill. And I don't care that a pen test is supposed to be me coming in two days before they go to prod and just aiming 10,000 tools at it and copying and paste that into a Word document. To me, that's not effective. Like maybe I would have been able to run like twice as many tools, but am I really helping that match them? Do you have time to verify what you're finding? And a lot of developers will tell me, oh, they gave me this report. I don't know what it means. I don't know how to fix yeah. it. I don't like the first time I was a developer and I got a report, I had no idea what any of it meant. And I was duck, duck going all the things and, and looking everywhere and just totally lost. And I asked the security team and he had no idea. He had just run this weird scanner tool more lost together. Right. And yep. For me, if you can find all of the serious things and you know threat model the things everyone's worried about and help them make a plan to actually fix all the things rather than, I don't know if you've heard how pen testers often get depressed at the five-year mark. It's a, it's a thing that I've I heard. I have not of. heard that. 
So over and over and over again, I've had so many pen testers tell me how they became super apathetic and really depressed after five years because they would go back to the same client and the exact same things would be reported in the same apps every year. And even sometimes the same accounts would still be open from the year before with all the same permissions and nothing would have been fixed. And they're like, all they want to do is check a box. I don't even know why I'm here. And to me, AppSec makes me feel like I'm succeeding, right? For me, it felt like, like this app is actually way more secure now. And then because I make so much content, then I would, you know, show the developers, okay, so here's my plan for security hygiene for your dev shop from now on. Like, I want you to use password managers. And I would lay out like this little list of things. And, you know, here's a video of how to use OWASP's app. You know, you have this sandbox area where you could totally set this up and do this. And like, you have to get management's permission, but like, here's like my informal extra one page plan for you of how you could just make more secure software in the future. And like, take my pen test report and go look at your other apps because you guys made those too. And I bet you made the same mistakes. So go fix them on your other apps. And I know they, they're joking that I was their dev mom (laughs) 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 because I just, that's how I am when I work with a team. Like during the election, I went around a few days before and I handed out protein bars to everyone because sometimes when you're working such long hours, you forget to eat. And so they're eating pizza and getting stomach aches. And I was like, okay, boys, I have like food for all of you. I want you to all have snacks in your desks and here's a bottle of water because I don't want you to feel like you're really hungry, but you feel like you can't leave. And they're like, thanks mom. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, you already had the protein bars on you because you know what they're like. Oh, yeah. No, I bought a box on purpose because I knew. (laughs) But you like, anyway, I don't mean to, it's not like I'm condescending. It's just I want things to go well. And yeah, so if I can go to a developer's desk and then sit with them and say, okay, so you tried to fix this cross-site scripting three times now, but I'm still breaking through it. So how about I just show you how I'm breaking through it? Right. And I keep telling you, I want a whitelist and you keep making a blacklist. So like I've coded forever. Right. So I'm like, would I be a total jerk if I like touched your keyboard and drove for a little bit? Right. And like, let me explain to you and like show you what I mean by whitelist and then let's build it together. And okay. So now you're my champion and this, you now know this and it's your job to proliferate this information. Right. And when you're in an AppSec job, you can do that. But when you're a pen tester and you're only there for like five business days, you can't do that. Hence the depression and the fact that pen testers care too. Of course they They do. They want you to be more secure. They just don't want, they don't want to be a tick box exercise. I totally get that. Yeah. Well, they chose that profession for a reason, right? Because they're passionate about it. And the system that a lot of places, basically a, a lot of dev shops or big companies, they they want to make their software more secure, but they don't know what they're supposed to do. So consulting companies tell them you need to hire a pen tester. I, the pen tester that became my first professional mentor, he was my office's pen tester and we would pay him $25,000 per app. And we had lots and lots and lots and lots of apps. And he would just do this thing and we paid him like, I'm sure 300 plus K a year, we could have easily hired an application security expert with that much money and had them work with us. So we stopped making those same mistakes every time and actually improved our security overall and have that person do some tests. But they didn't know that that was even a job a person could have or that we could hire someone to do that. Like we just didn't know. And so Part of um, when I give talks, I I talk about forming an application security program and where you can start and how to do it, or if you have one, how to make it better and better and better. Because, I mean, I call it like, like you aim for Netflix because they do amazing, amazing, amazing AppSec or Microsoft, like, oh, they do amazing. They have amazing programs, right? But you don't have to be like the Microsoft or the Netflix. You can still be... Alice and Bob down the street who sell flowers, but you can, well, not them, but if you are the company that makes their website, you can have a, like a basic program where you make sure nothing terrible happens. 
right? And I think yeah. we're not teaching it in academia. I, I taught at the local university two weeks ago. I gave a lecture about introduction to AppSec to their computer science program. And these are third year or fourth year students. And I was telling them, so DevSecOps is application security in a DevOps environment. And I had just explained what AppSec was. And they all looked really blankly at me. I'm like, remember, we just talked about AppSec for like five slides and what it is. And they're like, we know what's DevOps. And <laughs> they know they had no idea. So then I said, who knows what agile is? And there's hundreds of people in the room and two of them put up their hand and kind of like, they're like, sort of, we did it at one of my co-ops, I think. And I wow. was like, are you doing water fail? <laughs> and, <laughs> and, they, they, they are teaching them waterfall still in universities and wow. Yeah. And it was, um, so then I had to catch my breath and figure out how I could change my lecture to make sure that they would understand all of it. Cause the prof was like, he wanted me to teach all the things. And I'm like, I got to bring it down a level because I'd rather teach them all super basic things than lose half of them. Right. Yeah. And then I invited them all to join OWASP and women of security, WOSAC, <laughs> and told them all to follow me on Twitter and I'd give them little free lessons on my website and, <laughs> but get them started. Right. Exactly. But I basically feel like academia is failing in this one specific area. And that's where she X purple comes in. Yes, that is where I'm hoping to come in. So I just keep creating content anyway. I can't help myself. So I'm creating lots of content and I'm starting to create more specific, higher value content, which I'm putting behind a paywall of $7. So essentially I want someone to buy me a fancy latte from Starbucks if they want mm. uh, all of the stuff, like checklists for, so um, I think yesterday I released a one page on what server-side request forgery is and 14 different defenses to make sure it never happens to you like 14 deep levels of defense in depth and yes i feel that maybe that's worth seven dollars right and also it's really pretty just to be clear it's like a printout one page so it looks all you know i'm a woman so i'm gonna be femme <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then I am working on my first couple of courses that I'm going to teach. So I want to make a full program that people can follow. So the first one's going to be AppSec 101, where I teach just all the basic foundational things that I need you to understand so that then the next one is going to be DevSecOps 101. So how we adjust these things from a waterfall or agile environment so that we actually fit in with what Dev and Ops are doing in DevOps and we excel at it instead of kind of try to wedge ourselves in and make a mess. And then from there, my next one is gonna be GitHub, GitHub Actions hands-on. So I want people, awesome. so while I was at RSA, we did a, a workshop, so it's gonna be, I'm gonna make layers to it, so as you work up. So the first one's gonna be, make sure you have your secrets in a secret store, and then to scan for secrets, and then also to do software composition analysis, so make sure none of your dependencies are wicked and secure. And, and then deploying out to Azure. And then the next level will be, you know, more and more and more tools. So as you get more advanced, because I feel scanning for secrets is just a no brainer. Everyone should be doing it on every single build. It takes like a second, right? And there's very, very, very few false positives. And it is so worth it because if you catch one positive, you just made your life a thousand times better. <laughs> And then software composition analysis again. So if you're, so in, in the workshop and the lessons, I have this really awful app I made and it has the worst dependencies. <laughs> and so it breaks your build like it should, right? You don't want something yeah. with critical risks from five years ago going out because that means there's probably multiple Metasploit modules <laughs> for exploiting it because it's so Absolutely. well known and has been out there so long. And um, I want the idea to be that you can like learn the theory and then go apply it and understand why you're applying it. Like 
I've been to um, a bunch of DevSecOps training where some of them did the theory and some of them, I remember in one of them, he actually said, copy and paste from this text folder into this input on the screen, press enter, you now know SQL injection next. And I couldn't believe people paid money for that course. Like I know how to copy and paste now and follow your instructions. That's what I know. And um, that person teaches at lots of conferences. Yeah. So yeah. I want to, and if some people find it too slow because it's online, they can skip ahead. But for me, I find the feedback I get the most often is I thought I wouldn't be able to follow, but I could. Or I've never heard someone explain what a container is and what orchestration is so easily so I could like visualize it in my head. Um, and so later this year, I'm releasing my first book. It's called Alice and Bob Learn AppSec. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's adorable, just like me. Basically, one of my friends took me aside. He's like, you're adorable. Just, just go with it. Stop trying to not be yourself because you're going to fail. And instead, just be yourself. So Alice and Bob are these characters throughout the textbook and things happen to them. So first I'll explain, you know, the technical reason that we're doing the thing. And then quite often I give code or, you know, whatever the technical example would be. And then I'll tell a story about Alice or Bob and how it affected their life, their life. And then sometimes, and then there's like tips and tricks and warnings and then next lesson. And it starts with all the foundation and keeps building onto it until it's it, I'm just going to throw all of my brain into the book. It's pretty exciting to be able to get as advanced as I want to. And I'm hoping that that can serve as a textbook, as a foundation for the course of the idea that, okay, so I want you to be able to learn this in as many different ways as people need to learn. Because some people need a video. Some people need to do it themselves. Some people need to hear a story or an analogy. Some people need to just look at code. And I myself am dyslexic for real. And I learned French um, in my 30s. Uh, so I started night school at age 29 and by 31 was passing, you know, the big, really hard exams in the government. And it turned out I just needed to learn in a different way. So I learned about learning. And there's all these different ways that people learn, but we tend to only teach one or two in school. And people who teach often just teach the one that's good for them. But it turns out I need a whole bunch of things so that I can really cement an idea in my brain. So I'll go see a talk and then I'll go build the thing and then I'll read a couple blogs and then I'll build something else and then I'll break it because that it helps me understand better and then I'll fix it. Like for instance, okay, so we're gonna find some vulnerable dependencies. Guess what? I'm a jerk and I'm gonna make you all update the dependencies in the project until you can pass the build. And if you can't do that, then you don't understand the developers struggle right yeah and i feel like a lot of training that you take at conferences it is a really good super blast of information right like i took um i took a blockchain hacking course in israel a few months ago it was amazing cool. the teacher's name was mick and he was he was so good so so good it was some of the best training i'd ever taken because he showed us in all these different ways and he was super super patient with us and it there were only four or five people in the class. So he had so much time for each one of us. Like I felt just spoiled and that's not usually what you get. Usually there's a ton of people in the class. They have a ton of material to follow, but he just asked us like, do you want to push ahead and try to cover as many top topics as we can? Or do you want to hack on this some more and learn it more in depth? And I'm like, I want to steal everyone's, we, we made Mick coins because his name was Mick. <laughs> I want to steal everyone in the class's Mick coins. <laughs> and then we can move on. And they're like, yeah, let's all steal each other's coins, right? And having that flexibility. So online, if someone wants to take one day and just do the entire course really fast, that's cool. If someone else wants to repeat different lessons over and over and over for six months until they get it, that's fine too. Same price, right? Like. It doesn't cost me anything to have it replay on the servers. So I'm hoping that by having like videos and hands-on and picture, I like making pictures and diagrams and checklists and all of those things, having all these different ways of learning, I'm hoping that I can get across the message to more people. And then we can have people who go work somewhere 
and know how to do AppSec because I had to teach myself. I took all of the things from so many different people that I thought were great and kind of put them all together and then that's how I do AppSec. And wouldn't it be nice if we had a model to like an official model to follow? And I know that Microsoft released the secure SDLC 10 zillion years ago. Mm, yeah. <laughs> but that's not yep. it's not accurate anymore. We have better tools that are more accurate and they don't have a person to update the book because otherwise I'm sure that they would have by now because that book was foundational and amazing and it changed so many things and it's sad that they were unable to dedicate resources to continue to update it but I wouldn't I would never tell someone to put SAST in their pipeline not now no way like people are like so should we start with SAST or DAST I'm like no no. <laughs> I have I have I, all sorts I, of <laughs> I'm so happy you said that. <laughs> like it, it we talk about what is, you know, what level of assurance do you need? What are you protecting? Okay, so let's talk about, you know, doing these super simple wins to start to get everyone on board and then let's do this and then let's do that. And just um so on my on my blog Basically, I do, um, I do a lot of consulting where I coach companies with their AppSec programs to help them you know, make sure that they succeed because I'm, I won't let them hire me full time, but you know, I'll coach you once a week and make sure you get there. And lots of them didn't have a secure coding guideline. They didn't have secure projects um, requirements. They didn't have secure design guidance. So I wrote a blog and just released it all on the internet for free. So now whenever I'm working with a new client, I'm like, okay, you're gonna take these three documents and you're gonna steal any parts that you like and adopt them where you work. <laughs> and then feel free to add anything that you think you should add and it can become more strict over time. Like whatever works for you, I'm totally cool, but just please go steal it and start there. Because right now people, they don't have any security requirements in their projects or it'll say something like follow NIST no developer knows. Yeah. Oh, I don't know all of NIST, right? <laughs> You'd be lucky to find a developer who'd heard of NIST. Exactly. And so I want to make it so we have, there is a model that people can follow. They don't have to follow it because I said so. It's an offer. Do you know what I mean? It's, a, it's yeah. my offering to try to make things better. And I'm hoping maybe people will have great ideas for me. Um, I have this friend named Clint Gibbler who runs this mailing list called Too Long Didn't Read Sec. <laughs> <laughs> and he has given me lots and lots of great ideas because he just does security research. And I follow him closely because he always has these great ideas. And I'm like, Clint, can I add this to my talk? He's like, that's why I'm doing this, Tanya. Because <laughs> I want us to get, yes. <laughs> And I, f I feel like we can all add on to things and make them better and better and better by sharing. And right now, our industry kind of sucks at sharing. We kind of suck at it. There's a lot of problems. And I remember when I was trying to learn, like asking my boss if I could go on a, a SANS course. So I'm in Canada and SANS courses then were $6,000 American. And that was around almost like $8,500 Canadian. Plus we have to pay tax. So that's another 15%. And she looked at me and just started laughing. And she's like, is this for the whole team to go? I'm like, no, it would just be for me. <laughs> and she's just like, ah, I go back to your desk and I pretend that was a cute little joke. <laughs> because like that was more than the budget for the whole team for training for the year. <laughs> yeah, that is how companies approach things. It seems um, I used to work. Well, I, I, I have worked for security companies. Uh, I work for one now and I worked for one before. And um, our, tr our own training budget as a security company for security was 50 pounds ahead. Oh, my. Great. Gosh. <laughs> yeah. So even though we were out there doing what you're doing, talking about application security, talking about education, when I asked what we had to educate ourselves, it was non-existent. So we had to, like yourself, rely on the kindness of others. Well, I, I ended up talking that same boss into giving me two hours per week to do self-learning. So I did all the library courses that made any sense whatsoever. Um, and then I did three university courses online 
which were not great, but way better than nothing. And I did, oh, I can't remember. I did all, like anything that I could do online from my desk. I brought in books and then I'd write little reports on them. And she's like, you're the only person I know who I've given this two hours a week to who actually used it. And I, <laughs> there was a lot of traffic um, when I was living there because I lived across the bridge. So sometimes I would just stay later and just finish up whatever assignment because I would just miss the traffic. And yeah, I ended up learning a lot while I worked there in that amount of time that I could dedicate each week. And if there could have been a formalized program that I followed at my own pace, that would have been magical. Like I'm planning to make all my courses $99 or less so a human being could actually afford them. Because I think of my previous self and how I just, like I would look at the courses and I'm just like, I can't, I can't possibly pay for that. Do you know what I mean? I'm like, I really, 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 really want to, but I'm not going to give you 10% yeah. of my income for the year <laughs> for that. Yeah. Right. Oh and, and yeah. cause you yeah. don't, know the quality either of some of these things like some of the courses that i took that were free it's like well it was free but even some of the free ones i'm like i want my two hours back i can't believe how bad that was <laughs> yeah no i understand i mean i i bought i i have a tendency to buy any course possible just to see if it's any good if it's a reasonable price mm -hmm. and then just throw it away if it doesn't work um yeah i i okay so i realize we've been talking for almost an hour now yeah i'm verbose <laughs> as long as you don't mind i don't mind, well, i didn't know if we're getting to the top of the hour and we've not i maybe have not questioned or allowed you to talk as much about where you're going in terms of what you want to how, consolidate all of the things that that we've obviously pointed are wrong with our education system perhaps corporate culture towards educating developers on security um, the, the content that's, that currently exists and, you know, what's the next steps for you in terms of solving that problem and who are the, who's the audience, would you say? I am hoping that anyone with any sort of software development background or tech background would be able to come to shehackspurple.dev and gain a lot of value. That is my hope. I, so I'm one of the founders of WOSEC, Women of Security, the international nonprofit. So a whole bunch of the leaders are willing to give me feedback, which is really great. So I'm giving, I'm just going to give free, like give the courses for free to a lot of them one at a time. So have one person do it and then me update it and fix it. And then the next person do it. This is actually what I do with every talk that I give at a conference. So I will give the talk to a friend and then improve it, give the talk to another friend, improve it, tweet on the internet to see who follows me, who wants like a sneak preview, get them to review it. Then I do it to, for the local WOSEC chapter. They give me feedback. And so by the time I'm on stage at a conference, I've memorized the whole thing because I've been doing it for months in secret. <laughs> and I want to do that with the courses because I'd really like it to be really, really good when people see it for the first time. Um, but yeah, I basically, okay, so I'm going to tell you my dream, Stephen. So my dream is to be able to make a full program start to finish where people can learn AppSec. And then if I can afford it, I want to have someone that places them in internships or apprenticeships or gets them interviews for first jobs. That is my goal. That's cool. I would love to have every single person graduate into a job because I am finding that people, they study all of this stuff and no one wants to give them that first chance. But I, I went to this um, recruiting place um, because it was local and I just love meeting everyone. And one of the guys said to me, the first graduate you have, could I pay now to be introduced to them first because I want to hire them now. And I was just giggling and laughing. And he's like, I'm not kidding. Here is my card. I, I, it's impossible to get people who know what they're doing. And, you know, they have, you know, someone has like a CISP 
or something or an OSCP, they're like, I don't want anyone doing anything that they learned at the OSCP to my network. Because um, oh. <laughs> like it's, it's badass hacking. <laughs> um, and they're like, you know, if someone has a CISP, it shows that they're dedicated, but it's an inch deep and a mile wide and they don't have any specialty. He's like, if someone knows how to build a pipeline and knows why and knows which parts are faster and which parts are slower and where we should start and what an AppSec program looks like, like I want that person to start yesterday. So the moment you have graduates ready, I'm not kidding, I wanna hire them. And so I'm hoping that I could connect all of those dots and then we could basically hopefully graduate AppSec engineers into our workforce. This is my dream. Okay, so that would be <laughs> that that might just now be my dream. That sounds like a course that we so desperately and I think if enterprises I do hope that actual security people who work for companies listen to this podcast. If you just heard that, that sounds awesome. I think a lot of people would be in demand for the results from that that offering. And my to expand on that, so once I kind of have that going, I want it, so it's she hacks purple, but I'm not the only she. And because of Wozek, I know so many amazing security professionals. I know so many. So I'm hoping to have a whole bunch of instructors that can teach. So for instance, one of my close friends, she specializes in IoT and medical device security. And so once someone learns all the basics of AppSec, they could take the IoT specialization if that's what they need to do at work. And she could make a super duper one-off specialized course about medical device and all of the rules around that and how to apply them and how to DevSecOps that, et cetera, right? And I know a social engineer and a lot of people think social engineering is a lot different than what the job really is. And she's like, I, I would love to make a ton of people that understand how to run a successful phishing program and not just scare the bejeebies out of all of your IT staff, right? And if we could train a whole bunch of people, so like foundational security courses, and then from there you can branch off into whatever specialization you want, or even just being able to have a taste of the different specializations that, like for instance, obviously I wanna do every course that anyone is willing to make for this site because I wanna know everything. I would love to know more about social engineering or exactly what's required to make a medical device that is Wi-Fi enabled safe, or why you choose Wi-Fi or, Bluetooth, or I can't remember what the other one she, because she, she, she's always telling me all this cool stuff. I'm like, I can't wait until you make a course for my site. It'll be so cool. Um, and so, yeah, I want everyone to be able to learn all the security things. And even if they go on from there and then take a more in-depth course somewhere else, or do you know what I mean? If they decide they take it and they're like, it turns out I hate AppSec. It turns out I really want to do risk management. That's cool. Go off and conquer, right? Like, but when I was learning what I wanted to be when I grew up in security, everyone I knew was a pen tester. So I thought I wanted to be a pen tester. But when I got my first taste of AppSec, I was like, why did no one show me this? I'm a bad yeah, pen sense. tester. I just keep <laughs> hanging out with the devs, helping them fix bugs and shit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we all have our skills. <laughs> so those are my those are my hopes and dreams. I know I so, dream really really big. No, that's an awesome dream. That I think I think I think anybody listening is going to get behind you on those. But I have a, a devil's advocate question. Okay. How do you how do you keep your developer connection when you're you have you have an awesome security network? But how do you how do you keep it keep it real so that you've still got the perspective of the the developer's resistance to security friction and, and that that sort of feel to understand that what you're producing will be successful, you know, throughout the entire DevSecOps spectrum. Well, one way is the OWASP DevSlop project. So DevSlop, like sloppy DevOps. So I build yeah. stuff for the project and then break it and then build it and then break it. And we have a bunch of us that build stuff. And sometimes we break each other's stuff. No, it's not always on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> and we do streams. We do live streams. So yesterday I did a live stream with Nancy Garishay, Nikki Becker from our project, and then 
Rosemary Wang from HashiCorp. And we did, um, a, we did a .NET Core live share so we could code with her. And we were doing compliance as code. And she is so cool. <laughs> and she was showing us how we can write policy. And then she was like, so my build broke because it turned out my password wasn't long enough. It needs to be 16 characters or longer. So what can we do? I'm like, oh, I know. And so then we we're coding together. I mean, she did all the writing. I mostly was like, let's name it this, let's do that. And so by continuing to participate in those things, I hope I'm staying on track. Also, just constantly asking for feedback. So I speak at a lot of developer meetups. I do a lot of, you know, trying to reach out to developers because those are the ones that I need to teach this to the most, right? Um, so I'm hoping if I can always be very, very open to feedback that that can help me stay real because sometimes I've gotten feedback that might not have made, like not rude feedback, right? Deconstructive feedback's never welcome, but feedback where maybe I didn't realize I was less sensitive or I skipped over a bunch of things and people didn't understand because I was too excited. If we can be open and listen and pay attention and realize they're trying to help us be better, that can help. So for instance, for my book, um, my technical editor is the person who was my absolute most intense troll. Like he is a polite <laughs> troll, wow. but he would pick apart every single article and make it technically perfect. He was like, Tanya, this is slightly ambiguous because of this. And so then I offered him a job to be my technical editor. And he's like, what? I'm like, you're amazing. You make me so much better. Right. And although like sometimes I'm like, oh my gosh, he's making me rewrite this entire page. I'm glad because he's forcing me and pushing me to be better and better. Like he's, he, at one point he's, he's like, Tanya, this is, this is not acceptable. This is like a wall of text. I want to have, you know, numbered whatever. And I want to have a diagram and I want this. And it took me all afternoon, but I now have this diagram. He told me he was proud of me after I was so excited, but I have this diagram of, so every time you have user input, it's a flow chart of every single possible thing you could do to make sure it's secure. So is this service I request forgery? Is it this issue, this type of alert, log this, do that. And it's a one page, beautiful image with arrows. That's really easy to follow. If this do that, if that do this. And he's like, oh my gosh, Tanya, this is so good. I wish every developer had this at their desk. I'm like, yes, but he pushed me and pushed me to make it. Do you know what I mean? Like, he's like, I need to see it with my eyes. Go. <laughs> Thank you. That's awesome. So we cool. are, we are at the over one hour mark. So I know, I know. <laughs> Is there anything I did? I, anything you were kind of thinking, gee, I hope Steve asks me about bleh, that. I didn't, I would really like to invite everyone. So if you liked anything that we talked about, obviously follow, like come visit my website at sheaxpurple.dev, but also join your local OWASP chapter, the open web application security project really wants to meet you, trust me. They're so welcoming. And if you are a woman or identify as a woman or you're kind of in between the genders, please check out WOSEC, Women of Security. We are now holding all online meetings, one a week or more, and we want you. You're welcome. No matter how weird you are, you have a place with us. Like we, basically we, we brunch and bitch. It's like a stitch and bitch. <laughs> but with food <laughs> and then we crash events as a group. So we'll RSVP and be polite and all those things. But imagine if you could go to a meetup that is usually all men and then you could bring 10 of your girlfriends with you and how much more comfortable you would be. And then we hold women only learning circles where we teach each other cool stuff and we support each other and we have mentoring and we just basically it's a girl gang. We're going to get jean jackets. <laughs> I'm <laughs> kidding about the jackets, but it has been so magical to meet so many women because I've just stereotypically only ever had male colleagues. And if I had known that I could make a hundred new female friends, I would have started WOSAC 20 years ago. It's so fun. And yeah, you're not alone. It turns out there's lots of us. We're all just hiding out. 
And so, yeah, please join the community because we really want you. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's why I, I mentioned earlier the Ladies of London Hacking Society because yeah. that's where I'm, most of what I do is in London, and that's Elise May Austin. She started that there, and it's, mm-hmm. it's similar, I guess, in terms of that. I think they're they're trying to branch out as well. I think they oddly have a branch in Norwich or something really obscure. So cool. Um, yeah, it's really awesome. I've met a bunch uh, of them. Nice ladies. Yeah, cool. Uh, anything else that I'm that I'm missing before I let you go? And thank you very much for being on this. I kind of feel like there needs to be a part two, maybe in six months okay. when the apocalypse is over, and then we can talk about how things are progressing um, with Shex Purple. Uh, it, would that be okay? And by the way, big thanks to St- Sam Stepanian for hooking this first one up. It's way better than okay. All right, <laughs> awesome. It's so. Tanya, <laughs> thank you very much. And that is another episode of Beer Sec Ops. Beer Sec Ops is powered by Aqua Security and assisted immensely by Shirley Fried and edited by Taylor Sattler. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.